Morning. Uh, nice day out. Uh, <laughs> uh, welcome to uh, week two of our uh, two-week uh, harvest series as we look to the future of our uh, church. Uh, if you weren't here last week, I would ask that you uh, watch last week's message online so you can get all caught up uh, where we kind of explain everything that's happening. Uh, since I can't wait for you to do that right now, let me just give kind of a, a short summary. I know some of you missed last week or you weren't able to catch online. Uh, or, or maybe you're just visiting for the very first time this morning. Uh, our desire as a church uh, since the beginning has been to be a people being changed by God to change the world. And we want to do just that. We want to reach and impact as many people for Christ as we possibly can. Uh, and God has been allowing us to reach a whole lot of people for Christ. Um, you can see uh, on here, this is sort of a, we showed this quickly last week, uh, a history of our attendance growth since we started. And even in the last couple of years, you can see we've had just tremendous growth, growing by almost a hundred people in attendance uh, every single year. And so based on those trends, we know that we are just out of room. Uh, Literally, in this last week, we had uh, two chairs left on our rack, even at just first service. And so we know that time is is short here in this uh, building. And we also know, as much as we sometimes don't like to say it out loud sometimes, that our church, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this before, we actually, you're actually in an elementary school gym right now. I know, I just blew your mind, uh, some of you. Here's the deal. To the community, uh, we don't exist six days a week, right? I, I still meet people in Blaine all the time. I'll say, I'm a pastor. Oh, where are you a pastor? I'll say, Renovation Church in Blaine. They'll say, what? Renovate Reno what? I've, ne- I've never heard of it. There are some people, now obviously not everybody because you're here right now, but there are some people who are never going to try church in a school. Now, I just talked to a woman uh, last week who mentioned that they were looking to get plugged into a church. And they said that we tried every other church first, and then we were willing to try a church in a school. I said, well, why? Like, wh- how come? And she said, because a church in a school to an onlooker could be there one day, but then gone the next. And that is true for some church plans. Now, having a building displays a level of permanence, of credibility, of sustainability to the community that renting a facility can never give you. Now, personally, let me just be totally honest. I wish that wasn't true. I don't think the type of facility that you meet in should matter one bit. Location isn't what defines the heart of a church. But unfortunately, that is how many people in our culture think. And our goal is to reach the people in this culture, in our culture, for Christ. And so having enough space is a huge part of it, but so is having the right kind of space. Important clarification here, because we're talking about space a lot. When we say we need the right kind of space or we need more space, that's because we need to reach more people. This is about people more than it is about space. Let me make another clarification because, you know, sometimes churches get in this mode where they start talking about buildings and it can kind of come off as, gee, if we just had a building, then our ministry could really take off and we could start reaching people for Christ. Now, that's already happening, right? That's happening here left and right. People are coming to know Jesus. They're getting discipled. We're not talking about doing anything different. We're not talking about doing anything New. Uh, one of the words we've been using for years here is we just simply want to amplify what God is already doing. 
And so uh, this building that we're trying to build, we'll show kind of a flyover of it in the background here. I know some of you saw this last week, but some of you weren't here last week, so you can kind of take a look at that. Uh, this building uh, is going to cost uh, roughly $5 million. Uh, we have already seen $1.3 million pledged toward it. Uh, that's not $1.3 million in the bank, uh, but that's the people of renovation who were already here uh, 12 months ago uh, pledged to give that amount over a three-year period, uh, of which we're already one year into that three-year period. Uh, as I mentioned last week, that gives us about a 50-50 chance of starting construction in uh, March of 2020, which is just a little over a year, 16 months from now. And that is our sort of goal now, there are certainly things that are beyond our control here, but our hope is to increase the odds above 50-50 of actually being able to break ground in a little over a year in March 2020, uh, beyond sort of the 50-50 chances. And so I mentioned last week that we're aiming to raise an additional $125,000 in two-year pledges. So they would end the same time as everyone else's three-year uh, pledges of sort of above and beyond uh, giving. And then I'm almost done with my summary here. I'm, the last thing I mentioned was that we're, we're, we're praying for this additional 125000 for three reasons. One, it decreases the debt that we're going to pay on the back end. Two, it's an opportunity for all of us to do this together as a church family, as almost 100 of you are new just in the last 12 months. And then three, it allows us to start construction in this window of opportunity as everything is else is sort of going up in that neighborhood. And we know that if we're unable to break ground in March 2020, that that actually then pushes us back a whole other year to March 2021. You know, I, I think any time that you are talking about uh, space or we need more square footage or we need 500 seats or anything about that, the temptation is for us to just think about numbers. But when we talk about reaching hundreds more people or thousands more people in Blaine, in Andover, in Coon Rapids, in Ham Lake, in, in Lionel Lakes, we're not just talking about numbers. We're not talking about chairs. We're talking about people, real people. I think it's actually easier to remember that by looking backwards instead of forwards. So what I want you to, what I want you to do is I want you to just see a picture of what's already been happening in our church. And we're going to do that by just taking a look at a Nancy's story from our church. Take a look at this. I grew up in Episcopal church, go to church every Sunday, and it was just a thing that we did, you know. And I did get confirmed in the Episcopal church and went to Sunday school, youth group, everything like that. But other than that, I didn't really give a thought to how God acted in my life, you know, that he was a real part of my life. It was just kind of in the background, you know. That's when I said, you know, we wanted to start a family and knew that we had a family and we wanted to, you know, raise our children in the church. So we started looking for churches. Um, never found one that really kind of fit with us. And then there was time we were dealing with infertility um, for, for years and came a time I was just very angry with God. I kind of, you know, I'd come to the point where I think that I, God was kind of in my life, but then I became just very angry with God and just lost my faith there for, for quite a long time. After my daughter came along, um, you were like, wait, you know, okay, 
kind of, of course, that just renewed my faith in God. You know, my daughter came alive. Was there was no doubt in my mind. It was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is this is God's doing. Heard about Renovation Church through seeing the signs for the Family Fun Day, and saw them all around. I was like, hey, you know, we've been looking for a church. So let's check it out. You know, if we don't like it, then, you know, we'll just go somewhere else. The first time at the church, we walked in and dropped my daughter off at Renovation Kids and went into the service. And we actually were sitting close to the front and listening to the music. And it was just, I, I can't describe it. I was just sitting there listening to music and just this... And I'm going to cry now thinking about it. Just this emotion just like just came over me. And I just started weeping. <laughs> and and then, of course, it came time. He asked people that wanted to give their life to Christ to, to stand up. And I was just sitting there and just, again, this feeling, you know. And then it kind of hit me and it was like, this is God. God is telling me, this is Nancy. This is what you're supposed to do. I brought you here today, you know, to come to me, you know, give your life to Christ. And I stood up and then we opened my eyes. I found out that my husband had stuff as well. And, and it's, I see this peace, this happiness that just came over me that this is this is right this is good and the fact that my husband stood up as well was just incredible since I decided to follow Christ I just I feel more at peace in my own life more at peace in my marriage and even as a parent I think it affects me you know and I just I feel closer to God now I'm more I mean like I said, I didn't grow up feeling close, and now I do. Yeah, I know that he's there in my life every day. The harvest all around us in this city and the cities around us, it's plentiful. And so when we talk about this next season, when we talk about our future, we're talking about writing more stories like that one. Right? It's not just numbers, but these are real people with real stories. That's what we're sacrificing. For. And there are people all over this city that need to know Christ. They need to have their lives changed just like Nancy's. And we need to tell them. And we need to create more room for them. You see, great things always require great sacrifice. Uh, anytime you, you hear in the news, you read online about somebody or some group of people that has accomplished something significant you're almost always going to hear that they sacrificed a lot to get there, right? It's not enough to just want it. A lot of people want it, right? It's not enough to just desire it. Even it's not enough to just agree with it. You know, we've been uh, working towards this process of getting land and then working on the building. It's been almost five years since our leaders first sat down and began the process. Uh, we're getting there, right? <laughs> we're on the back end of this thing. But over the last five years... I still, to this day, have not had a single person from our church come up to me and say, David, this is the wrong choice. 
Like, we shouldn't be doing this. This is the wrong move for renovation church. No one has ever said that to me. Every person that I talk to from our church seems incredibly excited about the future. But as with many great things, there's often a huge gap between the idea of this is a great idea and I can't wait to personally reap the benefits from and this is a great idea that I believe in so much that I'm willing to sacrifice for to get there. Right? This isn't going to happen. It's literally not going to happen unless we sacrifice together for it. Think about it this way. Okay, what causes you to sacrifice in your life? Like we, we only sacrifice for something when you feel that the end result, your goal, is worth it. Like, okay, let's say you're trying to get in shape. Or you're trying to lose weight. Well, you sacrifice along the way. Right? You eat foods that are disgusting. Uh, you... You've run on, in place on a treadmill, not because that's fun. Like, if you think that's fun, I like to run. If you think that's fun, what's wrong with you, right? <laughs> right? You, that's sacrifice. We sacrifice why? Because we believe that what's coming, that the result, that the goal is worth the sacrifice. And I promise you, there is nothing greater that we can sacrifice for. I mean, we're talking about sacrificing because like you saw in the video, we're talking about saving real people for all of eternity. I mean, somebody tell me what would be better than that. What would be more worth sacrificing than that? Now, if you've been around here for a while, even if you're new here in the last year or so, I know a ton of you are. I will tell you, and maybe you've already noticed this already, this is not a church that talks about money a whole lot. We just aren't. Last week was honestly probably the first time we mentioned it in 52 weeks. If I'm totally honest, we probably don't talk about it enough because it's one of the most common things that Jesus talks about in the Gospels. But listen, this is where we're at right now. Right? A, a, a whole ton of you are going to be making financial commitments next week. You're praying about it this week. I think it would be weird if I stood up here today and I didn't talk about this topic. So even though we don't talk about this a lot, we're going to talk about it this morning. Because if we want to see the continuation of our world-changing vision, we have to be people that put Christ first, not ourselves first. I've been thinking about this topic a lot in the last uh, maybe three to six months. And I feel like the Lord had really put a topic on my heart, um, maybe six months ago, a topic of first fruits. I've just kind of been waiting for the right time to share it with you, and I felt like this is the right week uh, to do it. Uh, first fruits is a, a major concept, actually, in, in the Bible, but it's not one that gets talked about all that often anymore, particularly in, in America. But it's a major topic. In fact, there are over 30 verses in Scripture that are dedicated to the concept of first fruits. Uh, the teaching of first fruits uh, begins in the Old Testament when the Israelites are uh, leaving Egypt in the book of Exodus. Uh, the principle of first fruits is this, if you've never heard this before. Uh, in those days, uh, when you began the harvest, right, and most people had some sort of agricultural occupation, at least the vast majority of people, uh, when you actually began harvesting your crops, the principle of first fruits is that you were to bring the first 10% of them uh, to the Lord. And his work. Uh, so you see this in the book of Leviticus. This is one of the first places we see it. It says a tithe, a, a tithe is just a fancy word for 10, 10%, of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord 
it is holy to the Lord. And throughout the scriptures, this concept is called first fruits. Uh, And it was called first fruits because the idea was before you sold any of your crops off and made money that way, before you took any of your crops and ate of them yourself, the very first thing that you did was to give the first portion of it back to the Lord and then to everything else. One of the things that's interesting to me about the journey of the Israelites in the Old Testament is you see that whenever revival hits, whenever the people come back to the Lord, they always bring back this concept of first fruits. Uh, So, for example, uh, when King Hezekiah brings the people back to the Lord and out of their idolatrous ways, uh, you see this. This is from 2 Chronicles. It says, As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all that the fields produce. They brought a great amount to tithe of everything. It's 10%. The same thing happens when Nehemiah in the Old Testament, uh, he brings the people back to Jerusalem, and he's rededi- they're rededicating themselves to living for the Lord again. And one of the first things he does is he brings them back to the first fruits principle. This is Nehemiah chapter 10. It says, We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. So when God's people did this, when they, when they first, before they did anything else, when they first brought to the Lord what they had, why were they doing that? It's because it's a really concrete way to acknowledge that all you have comes from God, that all you have is a blessing from God, that all you have, in a sense, is God's. Right? And that's true. Like, why are you breathing right now? Because God gave you breath, right? Anytime you've gotten a job or gotten paid or been able to purchase anything, who made that happen? God. Right? This is one of the reasons why Christians, when we talk about money, we tend to use the biblical word a stewardship. Because if you're a steward of something, it means that you're the person who manages another person's finances. So when we talk about stewardship, what that means is we are managing actually our stuff, which is actually God's stuff. Right, think about this this way. If, if I were to take uh, one of my kids to a really fine restaurant, say like Culver's, and, 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 and afterwards I let them get custard, which I would. I'm so generous there. Um, it comes with a kid's meal. Um, so, let, okay, let's say I let them get custard, right? If I ask for the first bite of their frozen custard, right, they can't say back to me, if you're five, right, your parent bought you this meal, they, they can't say back to me, hey, you don't have the right to the first bite. I earned that by my own hand, right? That would be... It would be creepy on one, on one level, right? But no, you just can't, you can't say that. And yet so often, that is how we, the child, often look back to our father. And worse yet, we don't give him the first fruits. Instead, we give him our leftovers. Like, we don't give him, so often, the best part or the first part of our day. But if we have a few minutes left over 
here or there or at the end of the day, maybe while we're falling asleep, we give him our leftover minutes. We don't give him... This has changed a lot in the last 50 years in America. We tend to not give him first priority when it comes to our schedules on Sunday or on house group day during the week or you name it, right? Like if we have soccer or ballet or the lake or practically anything else on the calendar, we give those things first priority and then we give the leftover Sundays on our calendar to God. But we can't change the world with our leftovers. But we can if we live as first fruit Christians. Right? And this is true in how we handle our finances as well. Okay, when you get to heaven someday, and you're having a conversation with God, and he asks you, how good of a steward were you with what I blessed you with? What will you say? Unfortunately, I think a lot of us as, as Americans we're going to have to say, oh, Lord, I don't know. See, because I, I, I first, I, I always paid my house payment, right? And I paid my car payment, and I made sure I had this, this, and this in my house, and I made sure I had this phone, and, I made, and if I had any left over, and then I gave, I gave to you. I mean, where would you put yourself on this continuum? Are you living first for him? Or does he just kind of get what's left over? Now, I realize this is, this is a hard word today. Right? Even Jesus himself challenges us, us on this with this thought. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moss and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for wherever your treasure is, right, that's, where, that's, that's what you spend your money on, right? what you think about, for wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what Jesus is saying is that our financial decisions aren't purely just financial, but they actually reflect your heart back to you. Now, I, I realize that this is challenging stuff today. I, I, I really do. But I think it also, because this is not something we talk about a whole lot, I think it also provides us with an opportunity. At this juncture, in the life of our church, this is an opportunity for many of us in this room to get our hearts right in this area of our lives again. Now, th- this is, I think, a matter of obedience, but there's also a promise in living a first fruits type of lifestyle, right? It's not just about finances, but in your lifestyle, that if you're always carving out space, anything for God first, that then there's space for God to come in and move in your life. And so if you're in a place right now where spiritually you're giving, Right, but you wouldn't say that you're, you're tithing yet. You're not giving out of the, the, the biblical first fruits, the 10%. Maybe you ask the question this week of what would it take for us sacrificially to use this moment in the church's life to get us to that first fruits type of life, to 10%. So maybe you're giving 5% to just the church, just the general fund of the church. Right, maybe something you pray about is, okay, what if we gave then an additional 5% 
to harvest, to get us to that 10%. Now, I know many of you, a whole lot of you in this room, pledged to harvest already last year. But maybe, maybe your pledge has fallen off a bit. Use this as an opportunity to get back on the horse. Uh, maybe you pledged last year, but it was just a little bit. Use this as an opportunity. Maybe you turn in a card, even though you pledged, and you revise your pledge to get you to a point where you can get to 10%. Maybe you've never given anything back to God in your life. Use this moment as an opportunity to step forward in something. Right? Even if it's just a little, even if it's just something, a step forward in obedience is always a good thing. For the 100 of you that are, are new, and you've been taking some time this week to just think about this, uh, my encouragement to you is, is trust in God. And don't just listen to me. Please, please don't do that, okay? Take this to the Lord. You know, right after that uh, really famous verse in Proverbs chapter 3 about trusting in the Lord with all your heart and leaning not on your own understanding, comes this verse that many people miss. This is the same chapter, Proverbs 3, starting at verse 9. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, this is not a get-rich scheme, right? Many people have abused this kind of stuff in Scripture, and it's just bad. This is not prosperity gospel. But the Word of God is telling you that if you want to live as a first-fruits type of believer, even if it feels a bit like jumping into the unknown, that God has the ability to take care of you. And we don't know what that'll look like, but that he can take care of you. I always tell people that the best time in your life to start being generous with your finances is right now. Because it's never going to get easier. You know, lots of times we say this, I, I think this sometimes in my life, when I just have more money then it'll be easier for me to be generous. In fact, there are about a thousand studies that prove the opposite is true. They tell us that in America, the more money people make, the less generous they become. And so there's no better time to start trusting and obeying God in your life on this than right now. Now, I know so many of you pledged last year. Our hope for this is that between those of you who have already pledged and the many of you that are thinking about pledging in the next week or so, that we would have between those two right around 100% participation in this. Because this is what we're doing together as a church. Now, I know this is going to look different for all of you. Uh, let me show you a chart of what I'm talking about. Uh, and this is uh, in your Harvest booklet. I know uh, many of you, most of you already have this. If you don't, uh, they're going to be on a stand when you leave today. Please take one uh, with you. Uh, there's a number of tools in there, including these charts. These are just different pledge amounts of what it would look like to give this weekly or, or monthly. Uh, again, there are no all-star givers here, so don't think of it this way. Uh, I often tell people it's not equal gifts. We're not looking for equal gifts, but just equal sacrifice, which looks different for each of us, right? But yeah, we're praying that someone would pledge $40,000. But we're also praying for people who don't feel like they can give anything, that they would find a way, even if it's just a small way, to be a part of it with us and our family on this. Uh, there's a page in the booklet, I think it's page 16, it has a ton of kind of creative ideas. If you feel like, I just literally, we could do nothing. Creative ideas of how you can find even something that is possible. Because if this is going to be possible for us, it's going to take all of us. 
Uh, would you just look under your chair right now? Everybody look, there's a, a small like, kind of rectangular commitment type card. Would you just grab that quickly? If you haven't pledged yet, or you want to revise your pledge uh, from last year, uh, next week we're going to have a commitment Sunday where you, you have an opportunity to turn this in. I encourage you to take this home with you, pray about it, uh, fill this out, and then bring it back uh, sometime next week. I do want to mention something on here. There's a, t- a tiny little error. This chart and everything, how it breaks it down monthly, it's all accurate. But on the back, there's a spot where it says a weekly, m- monthly, 36 months, annually, three years. I should say it's two years. I should say 24 months, two years. I trust that you're good at math, uh, and you can figure this out. If you're not good at math, um, it's too late for you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You'll figure it out. Okay. This is a pledge, right? It's not a binding contract, right? We don't have a collections department at church. We're going to hunt you down or anything like that. When you pledge, we'll give you information on how to start giving. But yeah, for those of you that haven't, you want to be a part of this, I encourage you to be a part of this. Uh, Next week, you'll have an opportunity uh, to turn this in. So if you're married, take this week to kind of pray and talk to your spouse about this as well. Remember, this is spiritual. It's financial, right? But it's spiritual first. It's spiritual before it's financial. As a guy who would rather talk to you about a whole lot of... I'm looking forward to going back into the book of Luke next week, right? As a guy who would rather talk to you about a whole lot of other things than money, the only reason that I'm standing up here talking to you about stuff like this is because a whole lot more people are going to meet Jesus if we do this. Right? This building allows us not only the space to reach a whole lot more people for Christ in Blaine, but it gives us a greater launching pad to send people out to change the world. So I just got back from Arizona. The weather was much nicer there, by the way, in case you're wondering. On, on Friday night, uh, I was not there on vacation or anything. I was there at our uh, denomination's church planners assessment center with yet another future church planner of ours, uh, who, by the way, uh, passed with flying colors and is going to be planting our fifth church and kind of the, we haven't quite nailed it down yet, in kind of the Ham Lake, Andover, Coon Rapids-ish area uh, in just the next nine to ten months. And I tell you that this morning because we're going to be able to not just see people come to Christ in our building, but to see them come to Christ and then disciple them to follow Christ and then send them out to reach even more people for Christ. And so there, there are roughly about 500 people here at, all, at our both services total today. And as our fourth church plant, Pursuit Community Church, is literally having their grand opening right now as I'm talking, uh, there are now over 1,000 people when we throw in our church plants in our renovation network of churches. In the next five years or so, as we continue to just rapidly start new churches, the number of people in our renovation network is going to quickly expand in just five or six years to closer to 3,000 people. I sometimes tell people, we want to be one of the most influential churches in America that no one's ever heard about. Because this is not about expanding our brand or the name of renovation. This is about expanding the kingdom of God. And so we're not just talking about sacrificing lives to change here in Blaine, we're talking about a launching pad, right? Just in a couple weeks, we're going to have a a couple from our church stand up here on stage. They've been attending our church for a while, and we're going to send them out. They're getting ready in the next year or so to go to Eastern Europe as full-time missionaries. 
What we're talking about is a launching pad to start changing the world even further for Christ. A launching pad. We're literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people, when they get to heaven someday, will be able to connect the dots back to us. Thousands and thousands of people will be able to praise God for the ministry of Renovation Church and how it played a massive part in saving their life and saving them from hell and turning their life around and ushering them into the presence of God. And why will they be able to do that? Because of your sacrifice. Thank you for your faith. Let me pray. Lord, we just pray as we, over the next seven days until Commitment Sunday, as so many of us go and we seek you, we pray that you would lead us. Not just our minds, but that you would lead us. God, we know this is another huge goal for our church, and we just ask you to do it. We know that you can, and God, get us to this place, God, where we can expand your fame, expand the name of Jesus. And just transforms lives. In your name we pray. Amen.